Welcome to the podcast at the well. My name is Rachel and I'm here with two of my friends, Erica and Alec. And every other Saturday, we will be releasing a new episode from season three. We invite you to come and join us as we share our journey of faith with one another, support each other in Christian friendship, and challenge one another to grow deeper in our relationship with God. This season is all about relationships and the great love that is waiting for you. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, or by visiting our website at thewell.ca. And don't forget to like us and follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Podcast at the Well. Thanks for listening. Welcome to our podcast. We are beloved daughters of Christ. And this is At the Well. Welcome back, everyone, to season three, episode four. The topic is the first human relationship. So before we get into what we mean by this and what we're going to talk about today, I will ask Alex if she could lead us in prayer. Awesome. Thank you, Rach. Right, we'll put ourselves in the presence of our Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for bringing us together here, for Rachel, for Erica, for this podcast, and for all of the listeners. We thank you for showing us your goodness and love through relationships and through holy marriages that seek you. We thank you for always welcoming and accepting us and wanting us and loving us beyond measure and beyond our comprehension. And we ask that your overflowing love may be present to each listener and everyone that we encounter today. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Alex, for leading us in that prayer. And we are very excited to discuss, like Rachel said, the first human relationship. And I think a good way to enter into this topic is to remind ourselves, what is the first human relationship that God created? And I remember it was interesting because when we were episode planning, Alex rightfully reminded me that the first human, Adam, didn't come into the world as an infant, you know, even like our Lord entered the world uh, when, when Jesus was born to Mary, but he entered as an adult man. And then the first relationship he found himself in was with a woman. So he first found himself in a married relationship. And obviously, like all things that God plans, he must have a reason for giving us this relationship as the as the primordial sacrament or as the the first relationship to model and build all of life on. So I think that there are many lessons that we have to learn from this first marriage and namely the way in which it started as a marriage and existed even before the fall, before sin entered the world. And it also then existed after the fall, right? Like we know what marriage is like before sin and after sin. What do you guys think? That makes yeah. me laugh, Erica, because I'm thinking to myself like how you mentioned the before the fall and then the after the fall and it just reminded me I instantly got this image of like before the wedding <laughs> and after the wedding <laughs> and it's like <laughs> it's all great beforehand <laughs> and then 
life happens, right? So anyway, that was just something I just thought of. Alex, you were going to know what's you know, it's funny, you're actually focusing on before and after. Typically, it's the opposite, you know, like we think about before and after pictures of before the purpose is always to show how messy it was before. And then the after is like how beautiful and changed and like glown up it is, you know, <laughs> but, but yeah, when uh, Erica, when you were talking, I was thinking about how many examples we can learn from this original relationship, right? And how, like, how we should be inspired by the before, so that our after doesn't become the after, but our after is the reality, uh, because of, yeah, our current state of things. So um, I don't know, I was just kind of wanting to think on examples that we could draw on for maybe making it more relatable, because I think that Adam and Eve are incredibly relatable because there's so many instances to draw on. But I don't know. What are you guys thinking? Well, so well, the line, one of the lines that first struck me was the story in Genesis 2 about the creation of Eve and for what purpose she was created and even Adam's first impression of her. You know, like there's so much mm -hmm. that, that I can gain from that. So if I just briefly read the section from Genesis 2, it says, Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. And so I really like their helper in some translations, it's helpmate, because that gets me to contemplate on this reality that Adam in and of himself um, was not, it was not good for him to be alone on the earth, right? We know he had a relationship with God. We know it's the human destiny of everybody to be more connected to God than we are to anyone else. And yet for his whole earthly time, there was a lack. So he needed this other person. He needed this helpmate. I just think that there's actually something so beautiful already to be gleaned from that because it shows you that in the original plan, men and women are intended as helpers. And um, it, one practical way that I can think that I can still live out that original purpose is when I actually see my husband and I being helpful, right? Like it can be small things. It can be the way we see life as a project. Like we're going to do the dishes together. We're going to be a source of help when the other person is going through something difficult that we can't understand, but we're just going to be, you know, a crying shoulder. I like that he's the first person I want to call when something exciting happens in my life, because it's like a best friend that I have things to share with and that I feel helped by, um, that I walk side by side with. So yeah, those were some examples that come to mind from that beauty of, of how the first relationship is meant to be mm -hmm. helpful and companion based. Yeah. And I think like when things are going well, it does resonate with that. Like when you were talking, I was thinking about if anyone knows Christopher West uh, with Theology of the Body. Oh my gosh. When you hear him first talk about Adam seeing Eve, right? And how this is what we're called to be. And he didn't. Uh, so if anyone hasn't heard Christopher West, he goes like, oh, at last, like flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And he's so excited, so passionate about it. And he's not filled with lust, right? And and this is one aspect that we get so torn by that we struggle with. I think everyone can really struggle with this sin. Uh, but to show that like we are attracted to beautiful things and things that are good, but we distort them in our sin. Um, and I think that that can happen outside of marriage and in marriage, you know. Um, and so we are called to uphold. Um, the beauty and dignity of that person. But yeah, that was something I was just thinking about when you were um, talking about uh, Genesis. It's funny, Alex, as you're saying that, because 
I actually was thinking about that exact same statement from Christopher West mm. as soon as Erica started talking. It was like, yeah, it yeah. was like bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And I just yeah. imagined him saying it. And what brought to mind for me was the fact that Adam searched for such a long time. He went looking for something that he could relate to and he couldn't find it. And it reminded me of like the dating phase, which we'll talk about later this season. But it, it was just the fact that he couldn't find that helpmate until his eyes and his and, and his heart landed on Eve, right? And it was something that came from him that this, this ecstasy almost in the way that he just exclaimed this joy that came from him. And so it also reminded me about the fact that we were not meant to be alone, that we were mm -hmm. actually meant for communion. And that brought to mind for me, the Holy Trinity. And just as mm -hmm. we are not meant to, to be alone, you know, God himself shows us that we're meant to be in communion with others just mm -hmm. by his, his own um, being. Yeah. And then it also made me think about how innocent that exclamation by Adam was. It was just mm -hmm. so innocent that he just was so free to just be able to exclaim this joy. And, and like, how great would that be if in our own relationships, we could just be so like innocent and free to just exclaim the joy that we have with one another and be able to claim that joy as God's, right? It mm -hmm. was just so great. But anyhow. Yeah. Um, and also it's making me think even about the beauty of the masculine genius. I know we had an episode on this last year, but what you were just saying, Rachel, and even uh, what you were saying earlier, Erica, but about this joy of Adam and how I think part of the masculine genius is really having joy in the other. Um, and not that he needs to rely on her for joy, because that ultimately should stem from God because as we've talked about many times before it's just unfair to put that on on a person because it, it's impossible um, not that you can't be overjoyed by them but just the foundation of it should be from God uh, but just that joy he had in her and then how it also changed from the freedom that they had because love includes this true freedom to be faithful or not right to say yes or no and then after they say no to God how they change towards one another. And I can see um, these instances, even in my own relationship with my husband of when I am happy and he is happy that I'm happy or joyed in that. And Erica, as you're talking about, like as we're helpers to each other and building each other up. But then when there are times where I may feel shame and that comes out in something else and then he does as well in a different way and it, we impact each other and bounce off each other's sin instead of, um, relying on the Lord first. Yeah. And the, and the interesting thing that um, you, you brought out, Alex, was that if he sees her and delights in her, you know, with this amazing exclamation, then in that moment, if there's no lust there, there is just the desire to, to rejoice in the gift of who she is. And lust instead would be the desire to kind of manipulate or use her. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting, it always strikes me that in Genesis 3, some of the wordings of the curse, they bring about the dysfunction that we see in man and woman uh, after the fall. Because one of the curses that God appoints to the woman, but it relates to the man, is that 
she will increase her desire for her husband. That sounds like a good thing, right? Like she desires her husband, but he will rule over her. So it's almost like after the fall, there is this, there's no longer this desire for her where he delights in her, but it's this desire to kind of dominate, rule, even have lust. Lust is all about how I can use another person instead of how I can give myself in love, right? So there's the whole, what can I get? Not what can I give? And that is very telling. Like it's it's interesting how that persists after the fall. But according to God, who can redeem everything, this is a trait that we can actively use God's grace to work against, right? We can work against our natural tendency to dominate, to be selfish. And we can think about things like, how can I be a gift instead of what can I get? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even like what, like having a disposition of a grateful heart. Yeah. That's related to a lot of things. I think it's very easy to get overwhelmed in these days or times and probably throughout all of history, but bringing yourself back to even the smallest of things of how big of an impact they could have without having them. Right. Um, and having that grateful heart for this person, because I can even get caught up in thinking like, oh, like I wish he would do this or something. And then I think about, oh my gosh, he does way more things than I could even wish for. And he does do these things, you know, but um, if I'm, my heart shows where I am, right? Because if I can, if I can complain about something, I'm probably not allowing God in, in a certain area and just allowing negative things to overcome me instead of having a grateful heart. But I think my heart and what I choose to see shows how close I am to the Lord at that point, if that makes sense. It does, it does. And that it reminds me about what we talked about before we started recording in terms of love in, in general. Love isn't possible unless there's freedom involved, right? And so that sincere gift of self only happens when you freely give yourself to the other. But so the love can't continue when only one person is giving, the other person has to receive. And then the person that's receiving can't just keep all of that to themselves. It can't just be the one side all the time. So then they have to then switch roles and the other one has to give and the other one receives. And that's where the giving and receiving has to keep interchanging, which is actually what happens in the Holy Trinity, which is how that relationship between man and woman could actually imitate the love within the Trinity, right? Is to just keep giving and receiving so god Mm -hmm. gives to us we give to the other they receive it they give back to us we give back to god right and it just yeah three to get married yeah that like that's really tied in well there yeah what you're saying also makes me think about how i can um at times hopefully not all the time but how i can get really caught up in self-reliance uh, because i i see these different circumstances or obstacles i'm faced with and just as Adam and Eve went inwards, they went to this, um, on this self-reliant path of thinking, oh, I have to fend for myself now. Like it's the blame, I must blame because I can't be a part of this. I need to survive. Now this is survival mode. It's fight or flight. Like they sin entered and all of this stuff. And and I think uh, this self-reliance is something that is influenced by these effects of sin. And what you're talking about makes me think about how it's not that being independent is bad, but it, it there are points where it can go to too much of an extreme. But also if you're being independent, independent of God, then yeah, that's not going to produce like very good fruit. And what you were saying made me think about um, 
this book I got when I was engaged called Three to Get Married by Bishop Fulton Sheen, um, who if anyone, if you don't know him, he's awesome. He was like the first person to bring Catholic talks and um, everything to the media. Um, so if you look him up on YouTube, there's a bunch of black and white videos of him, but I grew up watching them, but uh, yeah, with Gamma and Papa. A, I got that as a book when I was engaged too. So. Did you? Oh yeah. Yeah. See, it's this is some good prep. Uh, so if you're engaged or even if not, because I think this is related to uh, all relationships, but but especially in marriage and what we're called to see is like the basic error of mankind has been to assume that only two are needed for love, you and me or society and me or humanity and me. But really, it takes three self, other selves and God. Um, and Rachel, what you were saying there is um, really what. Uh, this quote made me think about is that in order to truly love, um, it can't just be giving, it can't just be receiving, and it can't just be two. It has to include God. And imagine when one of those people in that or persons in that relationship stop doing either giving or receiving, it's almost like that connection just breaks down, right? And that's mm-hmm. where we could see the breakdown of marriage almost in a way. And you see it with Adam and Eve too. And I can almost, I can almost see it like in regard to shame and blame that you were mentioning earlier. It's like the moment we feel shame, the moment we start to blame, we're no longer giving and receiving, but we're taking away from that love between the three persons. So. Mm-hmm. And not self-reflecting, which is such a great area that we're called to be sanctified and come to know God better, you know? <laughs> one thing, yeah, and exactly. And one thing that I also thought of it, which I don't know if I've ever thought of this before, but it was interesting because it just kind of popped up was that when you truly love somebody and you have this relationship with them, even when things go wrong, you will own it. You know, you'll own that where we don't, we're not going to have a perfect relationship and a perfect love here on earth. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we can do is to love somebody perfectly is to love them for everything in that relationship. It's the wedding vows, right? It's the vows we take um, before the altar, right? Like through good and through bad. Well, what does that mean when it's actually bad? It means, yeah, no matter what through this bad. Yeah. You don't leave that person alone. You don't, you you don't run away from the situation and you don't block yourself from that situation or from the hurt of that situation but you actually enter into it with that person and you just keep going. Right. Mm -hmm. And you own it. You're like, yeah, we messed up. Things are bad and we're just going to keep going. And as you say that, what's beautiful is their blame is the opposite of owning something, right? Or said differently, how you own something is equivalent to how you take accountability. So while the sin brought about a tendency to blame one another, accountability is the exact opposite. It's saying, I'm not going to blame you. I'm going to look meaningfully and see what I did. And this, as we know, obviously, even in the course of marriage and functional relationships is usually so much more fruitful than just blaming someone, right? Um, It's about having an honest conversation where you look at how did we both mess up? How are we both flawed? And beautifully, like like Alex just said, because it takes three to marry, how are we going to rely on God to sustain us because we are both flawed, right? That if we're both flawed, then two people who are flawed cannot make this work. Instead, it takes two flawed people and one perfect person 
to be able to sustain that lifelong bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to bind us. I was just thinking even like, you know, if how different I wonder it would have been if Adam reflected and instead of saying, she gave me the apple to eat and was like, you know what? I'm sorry, I was not protecting you. And I let him in to this garden and I was allowing him to even like speak to you in this way or whatever it may have been, but just how it it always takes two with these imperfections (laughs) and it takes three to be binded together wholly. So like all of our topics, we, we try our best to relate each episode to our title of our podcast, which is The Woman at the Well. So this one was all about marriage. Um, and Rachel, just the, the first kind of thought that strikes me is that this woman at the well seems to be well experienced in the realm of marriage because she's had at least five marriages, right? Or five husbands before she meets Christ. But there's still something flawed about the way she has not experienced a marriage that is anything like Adam and Eve before the fall. So what do you think we can learn? Yeah, I I relate to the woman at the well so much because we're all affected by the original sin and by the examples we had before us, but also by the examples that are glorified in society. And that gives us a really distorted view sometimes as to what the relationship between men and women should look like. And in this particular case, you see that she's had multiple relationships over time that just haven't quite, you know, gotten to the point where she's supposed to go. But what's beautiful about this is, is that she hasn't given up seeking that perfect relationship. And we know this because she has an understanding of what she should be looking for when she talks about the Messiah. Are you the Messiah that they talk about? And she knows that there is this possibility. She hasn't given up hope. And what Jesus does in this moment is he enters into it and he says to her that even though you've had all of these relationships, I am he and I'm proposing to you and I am, I am going to fulfill that perfect relationship for you. And she then accepts that relationship and is now aware of what it means for someone to love her for who she is this great intimacy that he introduces her to by just loving her where she's at in all of her good and bad and all of her, you know, history with these other men and all of her misunderstanding and misguided understanding of what marriage is supposed to be. And despite all that, he just keeps giving her this love. And so now she's able to receive this love and then go into the town and give it to someone else so this perfect love that she receives she now goes into town and gives it away and we know this because she evangelizes the whole town and they then all become receivers of her love and then giving it back again to glorify god through their evangelization in their lives so this is how discipleship works right? and mm-hmm. so it's a perfect way of showing us Um, how Jesus could make that change in us and give us that understanding of perfect love, give us that understanding of what it means um, to be in relationship with one another. I was just going to say, I think it's really cool to think about where my faith right now stemmed from thousands of years ago and that it could actually be the woman at the well, you know, (laughs) like from what you were just saying, her self-gift 
maybe it's not even one of the 12 disciples or apostles like that it rooted from. Maybe it was from that interaction with Jesus and the woman at the well um, and her going out, right? So anyways, uh, that's part of what I was thinking about when you said self-gift and everyone affected by that. It's like, well, yeah, how many more people were affected um, by those fruits? That's awesome. Yeah, it would be nice to think that, right? Yeah, we'll find out one day. (laughs) I always think about, like, what tribe did my ancestors, like, you know, (laughs) stem from? So, yeah, so cool. All right, yeah, so cool. And let's go into our God incidents for the week. Um, I'll start. So mine um, has been this seven-day challenge um, by this Catholic social worker. Her name is Bria Hannon, and she did it as a Valentine's Day challenge. Um, and I have found it to be so fruitful and amazing and same with my husband. And she also wrote this really great, um, children's book for little girls called God whispered gently. And I bought it before our daughter was born. And yeah, it's just another example of someone being a gift and not burying their talents and she's from the States. So she's reaching out to my family and I to glorify God and her family is, a really rooted in Christ as well. So it's really beautiful to experience even from this challenge, um, her gifts Um, and her husband too, because he's uh, included in the videos. But yeah, Rachel, what about you? Yeah, I think one of my God incidents in the last couple of weeks was being a part of Marriage Sunday at St. Michael's Cathedral Basilica. And for those of you who are not from Toronto, Cardinal Collins the Archbishop of Toronto, he has a marriage Sunday every year in February for those that are celebrating milestone anniversaries. So I was there as the designated driver during these COVID times <laughs> for my parents who will be celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. Oh, that's <laughs> so, amazing, right? 50 years. Yeah. So, you know, and great example of what it means to to live out your vocation is, and my parents will be the first to tell you, it hasn't been a perfect ride, but they have stuck through it and they've owned it and they are still together after 50 years. And what was so beautiful about this moment is they were actually there to renew their vows and not being obviously a part of my parents' first wedding vows that they made in front of God or being able to witness their wedding vows that they made in front of God before I was born. This was such a gift to watch my parents go through it that I didn't realize how emotional it would be to see them do that. And so it was just, it was so beautiful. I could cry right now, actually. There's tears starting up because it was just such a beautiful moment to see them. It was almost like, I have to say, what I was thinking was, God, there must be so much merit in being able to stay with the same person for 50 years. (laughs) (laughs) It was just so beautiful to witness. And I'm so glad that I was able to be a part of that. That's enough for me, Rach. That's what I was just thinking. Like, if you just say, hey, it's their 50th wedding anniversary that alone speaks volumes to th- to me where I have to think like what has it meant to stay with someone 50 years you know that's mm-hmm. it's astounding it's something I'm I'm um, hoping to get to but I have to trust God with so many elements of that right in order to get to that one is maybe to live that long and then the other part is like to trust him to sustain every every aspect of my marriage going forward. Well, 
I want to add that while I was there, I did pray for both of your marriages and all Aww. of your marriages. Thanks, girl. Yeah, and I was like, one day, maybe I'll get to see them here on Marriage Sunday. So <laughs> it was really nice. That is so cute. I hope I have the memory to remember my wedding anniversary by the time <laughs> by the time I'm at 15. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna make all those old people jokes about myself then. <laughs> Yours is easy to remember. I got it just like that. <laughs> True, actually. Yeah, it's memorable. I'll tell them, I'll tell them the memorable day. Um uh so I guess I'll just end with my God incident uh as we close. So I think I meant to say this one earlier in the winter and then I just I just forgot but uh you 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 two know this but uh, what's interesting is as of I think two years ago my husband and I uh, decided to put a pond in the backyard and uh obviously then it's an outdoor pond and then we put goldfish in it it was like a little COVID project and it's easy enough I think to keep the fish alive in the summertime in the springtime but what's been astounding is this winter only this winter, because it didn't happen last winter, um, the goldfish have actually survived the entire winter. So even when like frost falls on top of it and the snow falls on top of it, we just, we shovel it off. And just through the miracle of one particular de-icer, it's weird because the fish are actually alive and swimming under the ice. So I don't know what it means, but um, we have chosen in our simplistic way to see the work of God in something that just doesn't really make logical sense. And I don't think they should be surviving outdoors for this long. But every day we look at them in the backyard and we, we kind of just delight in the fact that they're still there and they're still swimming. So that's my God incident um, that continues to bring me a little, a little bit of joy every day. And uh, I am going to end, as we usually do, with our closing Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So thank you for the great conversations about this first relationship that we have so much to learn from. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. God bless. Bye.